0: Today on Ag News Daily. There was a, about a two-month delay in getting your payment if if you if your bushels exceeded what they determined to be the county average.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Wednesday, December fifth, two thousand eighteen version of the Ag News Daily podcast. I am joined as always by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today?
2: I'm pretty good, Mike. I'm really excited. I'm wrapping up, like, my final project, my final test for my master's, and I graduate next Friday. Woohoo!
1: And how are your grades?
2: They're fantastic.
1: Now, is that fantastic, like I used to tell my parents, or is that, like, actually good?
2: (laughs) No, they're actually good. I think I have a 3.73 GPA? 7.8, something like that.
1: Good for you, Delaney. That means you worked way too hard.
2: Um... I guess. I just put a lot of value in my grades and my school. And as you and I know, because we made this a bet. you which have I to lost. have, Yeah, exactly. And you didn't pay me my $300, by the way. But it's fine. You
1: told me not to. I paid I you $100. I felt, I felt shady
2: about taking your money. Anyways, um, you have to have a 3.0. What was it? A 3.0 or a 3.5 or higher to even graduate. 3.0. Okay.
1: Yeah, which blew me away. I can't believe a school would require you to get a B average to graduate with well, a master's degree. C's get degrees. But Texas it's a
2: master's. Tech. It's a master's. I feel like that should be kind of standard across the board. Maybe you know, it is. Like, why would you want a C student to be your doctor?
1: Because C's get degrees. C implies average. If you're average, that means you're better than half. If you're better than half or better than three quarters, 75 percent. I don't want
2: average doctor operating on me.
1: Well, you're going to get one, because what do they call the guy who graduates at the bottom of his class from medical school, yeah, Delaney? Yeah, still
2: a doctor, I know.
1: He's a doctor, or she. Women can be underperformers as well. Yeah. Well, Anyhow, well, congrats. We're excited you're right, wrapping that up. You. That means you can put more work on the Ag News Daily Podcast right. and the Global Ag Network.
2: That's right. We had a good but meeting this morning about the Global Ag Network, so good we did. happening.
1: And, folks, if you have been listening to the podcast off the website because the podcast app you used hasn't been working, that should now be fixed. We That was part of our meeting this morning. We've been conversing back and forth with iTunes and finally got through to the nerds over in Sunnyvale. (laughs) And it sounds like things should be clicking right along now. We should be right back to where we used to be. One podcast on iTunes. Everybody should be able to download it. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that's our news, Delaney. What about the news from the world of agriculture? What do you have for us today?
2: Actually, a lot more news than yesterday. Thank goodness, because yesterday was just so slow. It made me want to pull my hair out. Um, we've got some trickle-down rumors here about the text for the farm bill. Colin Peterson, who is the House Agriculture Chairman, or the next House Agriculture Chairman, is... Apparently starting to release some details, even though other negotiators don't want him to do that. But, you know, he does what he wants, apparently. Some of those include um, significant improvements to the current margin protection program for dairy producers. So I know we've got some dairy producers that listen to the podcast. So it looks like they're working to fix that program, make it a little more, hopefully uh, make sense a little more, because I'm not sure the current setup does for all producers, They're also going to um, raise marketing loan rates by about 15% and allow farmers to switch back and forth between the ARC and PLC programs on an annual basis starting in 2021. Again, we don't know the final and real details. Those are coming out hopefully later this week, if not next, because we're still waiting on the Congressional Budget Office to finish analyzing the bill and ensure that it's in a deficit-neutral zone.
1: Oh, if it's not, then we're back to the drawing board?
2: That's a good question. You'd think that farm, bin, farm Bill negotiators would know that kind of ahead of time, so they wouldn't have to go back to the drawing board. That seems yeah. like it would make sense.
1: Yeah, you'd, you'd think. You'd think a lot of things when <laughs> right. it comes to D.C. Hmm, okay. Well, hopefully, when do we expect to get that from the uh You know, I was people? hearing
2: as early as the beginning of this week. Now it's already Wednesday, and we still don't have it, so... End of this week, beginning of next, but we're not, I mean, we're not in session, right? We're not in session that much longer. So if they want to get this on the floor, voted and moved on to President Trump's desk, then they need to do that soon. But,
1: and nothing of course happened in DC today as it was the funeral for George H.W. Bush.
2: Absolutely. But tomorrow, the House is expected to approve a two week extension for funding of the USDA, FDA, EPA and other governmental agencies that don't have their 2019 spending allocations yet. I know we've been having discussions with producers, or I guess I have been ha- having, productions, having conversations with producers this morning on Twitter talking about the market facilitation program, and we're going to have a conversation about that here coming up in just a little while, what that process is like, is it really as easy as people are saying, do you get the money as quickly as you're saying, etc. And I wanted to share a couple of quick comments from a producer I was talking with directly here on Twitter. I'm going to keep his name anonymous. He asked me to do that, which is absolutely fair. He said he has had a conversation with his district supervisor from the FSA office who kind of explained to him what was happening. And I'm going to break it down to you. Here's what he sent me. He said, Part of the problem is the eligibility of producers in regards to the 941 form that producers sign annually, certifying that they don't gross over $900,000 in income because if you do, then you're not applicable to the MFP payment program. So the IRS has to sign off on that 941 form before the FSA office can make a payment to producers. Then that paperwork is sent to California for approval Normally producers don't receive payments until the fall of that year, so the IRS has time to make the approvals. Um, and so this payment is at the start of the fiscal year for the federal government, so all this work may not be completed yet, and which is causing delays. So it's basically a communication issue between the FSA office and the IRS. So, oh. he said after the 941 form has been submitted three times, It goes to the state office, which then has the ability to override the IRS.
1: And issue the payment even if the IRS said no?
2: Well, I think the IRS has to sign off on it.
1: Right. So what are they overriding, I wonder?
2: I don't know. That's a good question.
1: Well, stay tuned, listeners. We'll get some more details here in just a little bit. Interesting. So it's not as simple as we'd initially thought it was going to be.
2: And You know, I've been getting mixed reviews from producers because some say, okay, I filled it out, and then within a week, the money was deposited into my bank account. Others are saying, you know, it's been months since they have gotten the payment. Okay. So I think it's, so it's case by case. So it's the efficiency case. of
1: each office probably yeah. has something to do with it.
2: Absolutely, I'd say.
1: Well, Delaney, you know, you know what is a simple fact? What? PETA is stupid.
2: Yes, we already knew this.
1: This is a simple fact. It's well known. Um, Have you seen the thing floating around on Twitter? PETA is trying to change common sayings to make them more animal friendly.
2: Yes, and PETA is putting out a new campaign showing two partners in bed saying meat ruins your sex life.
1: Well, okay. Now, I'm going to give them a break on that ad campaign because after I sit and eat a delicious... (laughs) 28-ounce prime rib. (laughs) You know, sex is usually the last thing on my mind.
2: (laughs) Okay, that's fair.
1: Yeah, but I'm still going to eat that prime rib because it is delicious, excellent beef. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have that every day. Right. You get what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I I got it. Thanks.
1: You smell what I'm stepping into. I got it. Mm -hmm. So part of part of I want to circle back to their changing the phrases thing because, folks, if you're not on Twitter, if you haven't seen this, maybe they're floating around on Facebook too. PETA published a list of I think it's seven common phrases that people use that reference harm to animals. Grab the bull by the horns, kill two birds with one stone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They want us to bring home the bacon is a big one. They want us to change these so that our thinking is in line with proper animal, uh
2: Feelings.
1: whatever, uh, yeah, yeah, stupid hippie shenanigans. And so the grab the bull by the horns, instead of saying that, they want you to say grab the flower by the thorns, yeah. which is phenomenally stupid. You grab the bull by the horns, because you're taking charge, you're going to push his head down, and that allows you to be in control. You grab a flower by the thorns, you're just going to get stabbed. <laughs> Why would you do that?
2: Yeah, I know. And then there's yeah. one about, like, something about feeding a fed horse.
1: Yes. Yes, rather than beating a dead horse, you yes. can feed a fed horse. But that's just, that's it just stupid. it doesn't make any so, sense. It doesn't. It's ridiculous. But... <laughs> PETA, nonetheless, despite their idiocy, they have influence in the world. It was announced today that Chanel, fashion designer Chanel, Delaney, do you own any Chanel things? I do.
2: My perfume I wear is Chanel.
1: Okay. Well, Chanel is no longer going to use animal fur or animal skins in its collections. I should say Mm. exotic skins. It's still going to use leather, but uh, they're going to ban the use of all other types of fur, crocodile, snake, and lizard skin. In their fashion designs, this continues mm-hmm. a trend that was started by, um, uh, oh gosh, Gucci announced mm-hmm. that they're going to do the same thing. They're not using mink, raccoon, fox, or any other animal that was bred or caught for its fur. This has me a little nervous. Of course, PETA is celebrating. They said they're popping champagne corks in the office, blah, 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 blah. and I wonder how long it's going to be before PETA and other groups like it are successful in making leather a target like this. Leather is a vital byproduct of the beef industry.
2: And, and you use it for shoes. I mean, footballs, shoes. Right. It's in a lot of common everyday things. Like, what are you going to make a shoe out of if you don't use leather?
1: Plastic. You know, Canvas. They'll come up, yeah, canvas, plastic, vinyl, all sorts of crap that isn't as good as leather. I just mm-hmm. worry that maybe... We're listening to these whack jobs more than we should. Oh, if we hear so? somebody introduce themselves as a member of PETA,
2: just <laughs>
1: turn away from them. Goodbye. Be- yes.
2: <laughs> Which is sad to say, but uh yeah.
1: Clearly clearly they aren't thinking correctly. Cuz leather is just a fantastic a fantastic product. It it does so much. It makes my legs look good in leather pants. It keeps <laughs> oh, it rain on
2: a pair of leather pants?
1: No, but I want some.
2: Okay. That
1: would not a look star. good on you. Okay. I'm a rock star. Anyways. What's that song?
2: Uh, oh the gosh. guy with all the face tattoos. Yes, I know. It's in, not Post Malone.
1: Da, 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 rock star. I think it is.
2: Is it Post Malone?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, you're more up on pop culture <laughs> than I am. Whoever sings that rock star song, let us know no, on our Facebook, Twitter, and Ag News uh, Daily. Uh,
2: Oh, I can I can hear the song in my head. But anyways, all right,
1: moving on from that. <laughs> That's the only
2: words you know. <laughs> yeah. The Agnes Daily Podcast, where Mike will sing you half songs. He'll well, and I think there's a know. lot of
1: swear words in that song.
2: Yeah, there is. We like to keep our clean rating on iTunes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on from that. Um, got an update here on Purdue University's Ag Economy Barometer, which is a monthly gauge of farmer sentiment. And for the first time in a long while, it held steady in the month of November, just dropping 1% for the month overall. About 75% of farmers surveyed for the index said they were, quote, somewhat or very concerned about the lack of a new farm bill. But in a positive sign, half of the producers surveyed said, They expected farmland values to raise over the next five years, and that was compared to just 21% of farmers surveyed in October thought farmland values would raise over the next five years. The survey also found that producers appear more willing to make large farm investments, and the barometer's investment index overall rose to 58%. Or excuse me, 56% in November, which was up 52% in October and 42% in September. So it sounds like placing a little higher value in the uh, administration and in the overall economy for farmers and producers.
1: Well, good. I hope those uh, sentiments turn out to be correct. And we do get a little bit of a reprieve here in the farm world. Um, We've got some notes here. The Federal Reserve published their, quote, beige book, which is not any sort of scientific data. It's a collection of conversations, discussions with business contacts in the Fed's 12 districts. So it's more of a collection of anecdotes than it is data. But they said in their conversations what they've realized is that inflation is starting to tick up and that inflation is being driven in Mm -hmm. a large part due to the tariffs that have been put on various products. That is causing price pressure to move up. However, they're also saying that wage growth is on the high side of moderate Which is good news because people with more money buy more things. And we like people who are buying stuff, especially delicious steak dinners with their loved ones.
2: I'm really surprised then why the Fed is not planning to raise interest rates if all of those factors are taken into account.
1: Uh, They are. They're still planning. We should probably see an interest rate hike here next week, I believe. No, week after next when the Hmm. Fed meets before Christmas. And then we'll probably still see four planned for next year.
2: Okay, for some reason I thought I read something. Yeah, okay, I've got it right here. Um, the Federal Reserve might ease off of rising interest rates or hiking interest rates in 2019. So yeah, oh. they're expecting an increase this month. That's all but certain. But markets will be watching with the, with what the feds do for 2019.
0: Oh,
1: well, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. It'd be mm-hmm. nice to get a break in those rising rates and You know, not face a squeeze on the interest end as well as on the selling end.
2: Absolutely. Well, Mike, um, Brazil's pub, excuse me, Brazil's production has the potential to expand their ag production on an estimated 43 million hectares of land, according to their chief executive of listed grain producers, SLC Agricola, South America. He was speaking at an industry event earlier this week and said currently Brazil uses around 46 million hectares of land, but could expand an estimated, up to an estimated 43 million more hectares of land. And currently the United States plants around 100 million hectares with grains. So they will be very close. If, if those 43 million acres get switched over, they'll be very close to what the U.S. farms
1: absolutely they will and remember in most almost all of those places in brazil they're double cropping mm-hmm. so those acres effectively get counted twice
2: yeah oh okay. so really all right. they'll
1: be producing on twice as many acres when you look at wow. you know the amount of bushels yeah. they could produce of both corn and soybeans so that is something to worry about mm. however the report if i remember it correctly delaney it did caution that this could take place over 20 to 30 years
2: oh okay i didn't see that in the in the article i read but could definitely okay. be true
1: yeah, because it takes at least three years and, you know, some of this ground is pretty far from the established roadway. So it'll mm. take some time to get there. It won't all happen in a year or two, but still, okay. growers, this is something we need to keep our eye on. Find ways we can establish niche markets and build value here at home in order to stay competitive.
2: Yeah, that is true, Mike.
1: Well, speaking of staying competitive, Delaney, what do you think? Should we jump in and hit the markets real quick before we move to our interview for the day?
2: Yes, I think that we should do that. I just wanted to mention one other quick thing because we're going to be talking about the market facilitation program, as I mentioned, and Secretary Purdue said, made a comment earlier just yesterday at the Christmas tree lighting ceremony, that he is waiting on the White House Budget Office to officially sign off on the second round of payments. He said he will personally speak to the president later this week after their days spent memorializing President Bush. And so it sounds like they have something in place. They're just waiting on final sign-offs and budget numbers, et cetera.
1: All right. Well, let's get it out there soon. Let's uh, make Christmas a little merrier across the heartland. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's jump in and see what the markets are doing today. And, folks, our markets are brought to us, as always, by our great friends over at Zaner. Get in touch with the high-quality and talented strategists and market brokers over at the Zaner Group by giving them a shout today at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. As we take a look at the markets today, we've got mixed trade in the corn market. December was unchanged at 374 and a quarter, while March was down a half a cent at 384 and a quarter. Strength continued, albeit slowly, in the soybean market today. The January contract climbed one and three quarter cents at 913 and a half. March up one and three quarters to close at 925 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, the December contract was down four and three quarter cents at five fourteen and a half, with March down four and a half cents to finish at five eighteen even. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got green in the cattle complex today. In live cattle, December contract up fifty two and a half cents at one eighteen thirty, the feb up seventy two and a half finished at one twenty two thirty seven fifty. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up a dollar oh seven and a half at one forty five forty seven fifty, the March up a dollar twenty to close at one forty three oh five. Mixed trade in lean hogs today. The December contract was down $1.02.50 at $55.85. February up $1.70 on the day, finished at $67.75. Quick look over at the dairy market for our friends in that class three milk futures playground. We've got a little bit of weakness today. The December contract was down a penny at $13.88 with the Jan down 11 to finish at $14.20. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our interview and talk market facilitation program payments.
2: Well, as promised, we're going to be talking to a producer who has firsthand went through the application process and received payment for the Market Facilitation Program. We've got on the line with us Bill Hale from Amenia, North Dakota. Bill, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience.
0: You bet. Happy to do it.
2: So walk us through. First of all, let's let's back up here. Let's talk a little bit about your operation. What crops did you apply to use? for the market facilitation program, Bill?
0: Uh, so far, we've done wheat and uh, soybeans. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to uh, get our uh, corn bushels uh, from the guy who harvested the corn bushels uh, so I can file that as well.
1: And that, I think, sets us up pretty well. When you look at what you need to take into the FSA, are you just taking in yield-monitored data? Is that all they want to see to determine production, or, or what all? do you need to have in your paperwork bundle when you go visit the folks there at the county office? Uh,
0: actually, uh, they for soybeans at, in our county office, they weren't uh, taking anything in. If you're spot-checked, then you better have the documentation to back up the bushels that you report. Um, but uh, farm by farm, you just tell them total bushels and sign that it's accurate, and away you go. Oh, and, wow. And for, for me... For for me, now for wheat, it was they did take everything in on, on the wheat sign-up, and I think they discovered that they uh, – and I, I'm guessing here, so I probably shouldn't do that, but I would guess they probably uh, discovered they didn't want to store all that paper. Uh, you, <laughs> I, know, you know, I, I bet you're so, right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, they're going to spot check everybody, so you better have the documentation just to show how you came up with those bushels. Uh, but what we had was assembly sheets for anything that went straight to the elevator. And then uh whenever we filled up a grain bin on the farm, uh we know how many bushels are supposed to go in that grain bin. And we estimated how many were in there. And uh, I've got spreadsheets where we kept a, a log of, of how many loads went into the, the bin. And each of those days, it so happened that we also delivered a couple of loads to the elevator so we could show that yeah you know on average that's how much was in each of those loads so that's that's what we used for our estimate of what's in the bin
2: have you heard from any of your neighbors or other producer friends that they have been spot checked or that the government or whoever has come in and just verified that that information is correct
0: i have not heard of that uh and i would i haven't even asked any of the fsa people i don't think they I would be surprised if they've already spot checked anything because they when when the wheat sign up hand happened in August, there was uh, but a about a two month delay in getting your payment if if you if your bushels exceeded what they determined to be the county average, uh, oh. they had to go through a whole they had to go through a whole process for how you could certify that well, you know it might have been above the county average, and here's why. And then the county committee had to certify that that was a valid reason. And it didn't matter that I had all the receipts and all that stuff. They they just wanted an explanation for why that happened. Um, and now for the soybean payment, though, um, uh, if Thanksgiving had not happened the next week, I think the payment might have been in, a, in my bank account the next week. Wow. So that was my next yeah. question, Bill. Once you filed
1: everything... How long did it take until that payment was in the bank account?
0: Uh, I'd have to look to be sure. It's either ten or twelve days because Thanksgiving was in there. That's,
2: pretty, That's not. Yeah, considering it's a government agency, that doesn't seem like it's too bad of a timeline.
0: Oh, that was that was a surprise. They said, "Yeah, I should be there next week." And I, then as I was leaving the office, I was thinking, "Yeah, but Thursday, <laughs> Thanksgiving." So we'll see if that happens and it it didn't actually get there till the following tuesday which completely makes sense and the first time also in addition to um having to explain yield uh they they were still setting up the software the first time so they they were having all kinds of fun uh, making the software work and i think they've got that well now that that's ironed out you know it's it's uh, simply whatever the payment rate is times the bushels, and there you go.
1: Now, Bill, you are, uh, as mentioned, a North Dakota. Give us an update. How did harvest go up there in your part of the world?
0: Well, for us, it was not too bad. We Right here, at my farm was kind of dry, and we, we got done in a decent time. But, boy, just oh, five or ten miles west of us, five or ten miles south, and 15 or 20 miles north, they – they, we, we got some of the early snow, but for us it melted off. We, we had four to six inches of snow. I forget what that was, October 2nd or 3rd, something like that. And, uh, but to the west of us they had a foot of snow on the 2nd of October and, and it kind of melted down and then they were waiting for the last couple of inches to melt off and, and they just didn't. And then the next time it warmed up it snowed again and there are still some soybeans out there and uh they're the, the most guys though are finishing up on their corn but the stories i've heard uh people have gone one guy i know i uh went through three fans on his combine from ice chunks building up in the combine so it, it's Oof. been a real struggle and they were in north uh, oh probably 60 miles north of where i am uh It was just incredibly wet, and now, Mm -hmm. now, of course, the ground finally froze, and they were able to get out there and get most everything, but like I said, there are still here and there uh, some fields of soybeans that are still out there, and there were quite a few folks who, uh, from the stories I heard, had to raise up the header on their combine an inch or two inches and leave that bottom two inches because it was all snow.
2: So with some of the soybeans still being in the field up in your part of the country, we've been hearing rumors and you can hopefully deny or confirm these that producers were abandoning acres and also in some instances plowing under soybeans in that part of the country.
0: I, you know, and, and uh, I have not heard of anybody plowing any soybeans under uh, because up here, and it's possible somebody that some, maybe somebody did that, but I can't imagine why they would because, up here, uh, if it's, if it's uh, so wet that you can't drive across it or there's a bunch of snow on it, well, you, you probably can't get a chisel plow through it either. And what you would hope for is that the snow melts off. And then if the ground is too soggy to drive on, you hope that the ground freezes before uh, it snows again so you can get a combine across it
1: yeah that makes sense and now, Bill, looking ahead to this next year there's a lot of pundits thinking we 're going to see soybean acres fall apart i've heard from growers up in North Dakota looking at those eighty ninety dollar thirty basis you know under um that they're just not going to be planting beans in your part of the world. What are your thoughts on bean acres for next year?
0: well it's going to be tough unless something changes uh because like in your're right so, and uh, eighty ninety uh is a is a uh, uh, pleasant memory because <laughs> it's a buck 30 it was a buck 35 and I can't remember what the high was but I it, it was higher than a buck 30 a buck 37 anyway at least wow and that's a lot to take off you know there's not much left if you take that much off and for so far USDA has said there's not going to be any market facilitation program next year so but the, the, then of course the problem becomes if everybody plants some other commodity, well, the prices for that commodity are going to fall apart, too. Yeah. So we've got to find customers. we mm-hmm. got to find customers. And an interesting story that I, I hope you can find somebody to look into it. I have heard from uh, some pretty reputable sources that the Chinese have bought a million acres of land, 300,000 in South Africa hmm. and yep. 300,000 in Russia mm-hmm. and 400,000 in Kazakhstan. And the uh, transport distance from Russia and Kazakhstan to the market in China is 150 miles. Oh That's
2: wow! It. Wow. Yeah, I Wait, also if have they heard... can
0: grow beans, then that is going to
1: be uh, quite a piece of competitive property, right
2: there. Yeah, and I also have heard yeah. um, I've heard those those same rumors, Bill. So I I would think that they lean towards the truer side
0: well, somebody should be able to find out and yeah. do a report on it because if that's the case, then we better start thinking real hard about what we're where we're gonna find a market for our soybeans and mm-hmm. and i you can understand the Chinese wanting to do that who would who would want to have seventy percent of their soybeans coming from one country? No, right. nobody would
2: right
0: so yeah, they eventually were... they were going to do that, but the tariffs I think sped up that process
2: mm-hmm. so bill, you also um are a sugar beet farmer. And I know you mentioned you guys yep. have your annual shareholders meeting tomorrow. Is that right?
0: Correct. Yes, tomorrow.
2: So heading into tomorrow's meeting, I guess I just want a quick update. How have sugar beet producers been affected or have they been affected by all of the trade disputes? And then what do you guys usually accomplish at your annual cooperative meetings?
0: Uh, the trade disputes uh, have not affected uh, Sugar, uh, they are part of a suspension agreement within the NAFTA. Well, it's actually separate from the NAFTA even. Uh, So that that uh, trading uh, program is just continued on the way it is. uh, And we don't export any sugar, so we're unique on commodities. We import sugar from 54 countries, I think it is. And uh, we are usually float between second and third highest importing country in the world um so we're not looking for an export market for sugar Uh, and what we accomplish at the meeting well there's roughly 2,000 different farmers who own uh the five factories here in the valley and we get together and and uh work out one common purpose to to move forward and update our factories and uh serve our customers that we supply about 18 or 19 percent of all the sugar that's used in the united states
1: well keep up the good work i am chomping down on plenty of candy and all sorts of sugary goods especially this time of year bill so we
0: appreciate your work well thank you and and we enjoy making life just a little bit sweeter for everybody
1: (laughs) i love it bill Hale from north dakota thanks for taking the time
0: to chat with us today you bet take care thanks
2: Well, a big thank you to Bill, and we're going to keep digging on this because I think a lot of producers, as we've seen just on the few conversations we've had on Twitter, a lot of producers are interested to know what's really going on, and we would like to try and provide as much clarity as possible on the podcast.
1: Yes, and the government shutdown thing could certainly throw a wrench into all of this. We are looking into what can happen there.
2: We know that, well, I mean, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the House is going to vote on an extension, so hopefully... The USDA, EPA, et cetera, doesn't get shut down, so I don't think it should affect the FSA payments.
1: Mm, you're awfully optimistic, Melanie. I know. Bellini.
2: That's true. I I've am. been
1: caught in a government shutdown working mm. with the FSA, and it can be a bear. It can be. Well, folks, that's our episode for today. If you want to get in touch with us or spend more time learning about our episodes, you can visit our website, agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can listen to our past episodes plus episodes from other podcasts that have joined the network. It is a lot of great content in one place. Or you can always visit us on social media at Ag News Daily on Twitter and on Facebook, actually. It's very easy to remember. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.